Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander and joining me as always is Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, uh, Xi Jinping is back in China now after a three-country tour of the Middle East and North Africa in what is yet another example of Beijing's expanding drive for global influence. During this most recent trip, he visited Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Iran, where he inserted his government into the mix of one of the world's most volatile regions. Obviously, the Chinese depend heavily on Middle Eastern oil, but this trip also highlighted just how far China's interests in the region extend beyond natural resources. Xi voiced his support for the creation of an independent Palestinian state and mentioned on several instances his desire for China to play a greater security role in the Middle East. But one issue above all propels Chinese policy in this part of the world, and that's the revival of the ancient Silk Road that long ago connected Persia and China. Today, China is moving forward with a hugely ambitious plan to create a global trade route known as One Belt, One Road that passes through East Africa, the Suez Canal in Egypt, into the Persian Gulf, and across Central Asia. But China needs stability in these regions if its strategy of extracting natural resources and selling back finished goods to hundreds of millions of consumers throughout markets in the Middle East, Africa, and Central Asia. So on today's show, we're going to broaden our focus a bit beyond Africa in an effort to put what the Chinese are doing on the continent into a larger, more global context. To help us to better understand China's ambitions in North Africa and the Arab world, we're joined by Lina Ben Abdallah who is a PhD candidate in the Department of Political Science and Center for African Studies at the University of Florida in the U.S. As part of her research, Lina has been focusing on, on Chinese foreign policy in Africa, security policy, and South-South relations in the region. Lina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. So I was wondering if we could kick off, just what did you think of what came out of Xi's visit to Egypt and Iran and Saudi Arabia? Like, what did you make of the deals and the, the announcements? Uh, right, so uh, definitely the trip was uh, very um, uh, fruitful in terms of all the agreements that have been signed. Um, so we looked at uh, some of the uh, announcements made. Um, we know that in, in, in the stop to uh, both Saudi Arabia and Iran, um, there was mention of, of uh, co- co- cooperation on the One Belt, One Road. Um, there were lots of deals also signed, I think, a... Uh, around 14 agreements uh, signed with Saudi Arabia. Lots of it was definitely on energy, but not all of it was energy. Um, there were talks about even uh, uh, trade agreements, nuclear uh, reactor uh, uh, agreements, um, and also um, really to increase or to uh, promote the relations to, comp- uh, to um, comprehensive strategic partnership. Um, with Egypt, there were even 21 deals signed with a total of 15 billion US dollars, which of, of uh, uh, loans, um, which also uh, uh, are mostly or heavily uh, uh, geared for infrastructure projects. Uh, this building, a new administrative capital, for instance, uh, was one of the deals. Um, and Suez Canal as a hub for uh, sort of kind of a strategic point for both the maritime uh, Silk Road and the land um, uh, Silk Road, new Silk Road uh, to, to, to converge. Um, with Iran, it was uh, uh, also very fruitful. Uh, there was talks about sort of this 25-year uh, plan. So this is sort of a long-term planning. So it's not, uh, you know, just uh, kind of a, a, a quick, you know, visit uh, for symbolic relations. But this is kind of planning ahead for uh, the next 25 years. And the, there was talk about uh, even uh, a, a whole total amount of $600 billion in the next uh, 
you know, in the next uh, decade or so, uh, worth of trade. Um, and, and of course, uh, uh, Obor was also brought up, you know, in the context of China-Iran relations. Uh, what's really interesting here is uh, kind of like uh, you mentioned, uh, Egypt sort of of the three countries sits on both um, sort of part of the African continent where you have uh, the platform for FOCAC and also with the uh, Arab, um, sort of the uh, uh, Sino-Arab cooperation uh, uh, forum, which is also sort of a, a, an institutionalized kind of forum that meets two, every two years and not every three years. But it's really interesting that it sits on both those seats um, with uh, Saudi Arabia as clear-cut, you know, sort of uh, Arab, uh, Sino-Arab relations. With Iran was the, 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 the different one because it's, not, it's neither kind of African country nor sort of the, the Arab, you know, region. So uh, with, with Iran, we see kind of a, a, a planning for the 25 year for um, all sorts of agreements that uh, kind of highlighted the, a unique uh, uh, position of the country. Well, you mentioned, obviously, the economic partnerships, and to many of our listeners who follow China and Africa, that will sound very familiar. These are these multi-billion dollar partnership investment deals, and China's famous for giving those out. I'd like to turn our attention to the politics, though, because I think that's what's so very interesting. The timing of this trip came mm-hmm. at a point where for each of the three countries, United States relations with each of these three countries is either in flux or just beginning, it's vulnerable. Uh, That is the U.S. longtime ally with Egypt, uh, but never really recovered since the fall of Mubarak. Al-Sisi has tested U.S. relations. The United States still continues to provide significant amounts of aid, but it does so reluctantly, in part because of human rights and a whole bunch of other problems. Then we've got the Saudis, which the relationship is being tested severely, in part because of the United States' proximity to, or it's a rapprochement, if you will, with, with Iran. And then obviously mm-hmm. with Iran, there still is an enormous amount of distrust about the United States. And that's when, uh, when, when the Ayatollah, he said to, to, the, to the Chinese that he, he really prefers dealing with a, quote, independent country. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so for me, thinking about Xi... He's taking advantage of this opportunity when there is flux in the relationship of the hegemon in the region, which is the United States, at least the global hegemon. And I'm wondering what you read in terms of the politics of the visit. Uh, right. So I guess um, definitely the, the first thing to mention here is the symbolism of Chinese president's first uh, uh, trip abroad, you know, every year. Um, and, uh, and, and, and his trips, you know, both first trips abroad, both in 2013 and 2014, were to Russia, right? And so there's a lot of symbolism given towards, you know, what's the destination of Xi Jinping, or the Chinese president, in this case, Xi Jinping's uh, destination for his first trip. Uh, 2015 was Pakistan. This year is Iran, Saudi, and, and Egypt. And it is definitely uh, signaling sort of a, a focus of China in this uh, in this region or in the in, in, in near future. Um, so definitely... Um, on the political side of it, um, it was uh, uh, interesting to see the sort of this this uh, um, a choice of three countries. Uh, we know the tensions between Saudi and Iran, uh, even the internal tensions in the region, uh, and and uh, China has you know kind of uh, done a really good job navigating the waters in terms of not upsetting either part uh, either party. Uh, but uh, uh, in terms of um, um, political, China's political role. Uh, in, in, in the region, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's sort of been focusing mostly, you know, on the uh, economics, right? And, and economics of it and energy policy has, has, has been sort of the looming um, focus in the background. 
Um, but is Geo strategically, I think, to respond to your um, point about so where where does this fit in terms of uh, U.S.'s you know uh, role in the region? Um, I mean, I'm not sure if China is is trying to play a bigger uh, political or security role per se in the region for right now. Um, the way I read this is. Uh, there's, you know, opportunity for uh, Xi Jinping to further his um, One Belt, One Road initiative uh, to make sure that he has the right people on board. Uh, obviously, Iran uh, and Saudi Arabia are tremendously uh, important for the land uh, sort of uh, part. And, and, you, and you need to secure those investments when they happen. You need to secure the routes for the goods and the people. And so you really have to have these people on board. Um, and, I, and I think those are sort of the, the immediate kind of uh, strategic goals of this visit. Uh, I'm not sure exactly uh, whether China would like to take a different role, immediately speaking about political or security uh, scene in the region. I mean, it's, it's done very well so far without being this sort of big actor. Um, so I'm not sure if, it's, if, if, if China is going to jump into that uh, you know, uh, in the near future. I'd like to ask you about the role of oil um, in this relationship. Obviously, you know, two-thirds of China's oil comes from Africa and the Middle East. Um, and to which extent should we see the, the extension of the One Belt, One Road initiative to, uh, you know, kind of to Central and, and Central Asia and the Middle East, but even, you know, kind of the, at the same time as, as she's visiting Egypt, there was also the announcement of a new um, Chinese-built megaport that's being planned in Algeria. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these all of these infrastructure kind of hubs and, and, and routes that are being set up, to which extent should we see that as essentially a, a big kind of, you know, kind of uh, funnel sucking oil into China out of these these regions? And to which extent do you think oil, the falling oil price and so on, is going to is is complicating that relationship? You know, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, as as you as you said it very well, uh, China depends heavily on uh, Iranian Saudi oil. Um, and also, it is sort of a reliable buyer of oil for these two countries as well, and other countries in the Middle East uh, and in North Africa as well. And so the, the relationship there is sort of an interdependent one. Uh, so both are both both sides, I would say, if I'm taking Iran as an example, are relying on the other for you know sort of this this uh, uh, energy uh, deals. Is insofar as the oil prices are falling and how that will influence the relationship. I mean. What I think the what I think both uh, I guess uh, what we saw from uh, coming out of Egypt and Iran is this willingness to diversify their economies and China you know what better partner to do that uh, than to um, sort of sign all these agreements that are non-energy focused agreements so you have these IT deals you have uh, communication uh, uh, technology you have uh, a number of other things that these uh, governments are interested in doing to diversify because they realize. Their, their, their dependence on oil and, and oil not being very dependable lately in terms of prices, uh, you know, leads them to uh, try to find other ways to diversify. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it, it gives China a very interesting position there. Uh, and I think uh, oil prices being so down uh, is one of the reasons why China can uh, feel comfortable you know, stopping in Saudi and then going to Iran the next day and not having any problem with either. 
Uh, and that's because it, it sort of China has sort of an upper hand in, in that sense. Uh, in, and, and it is a, a lucrative you know, source of uh, uh, loans, uh, investments. And so it, it, it can definitely uh, negotiate in that. And uh, in terms of, uh, you, you brought up the case of Algeria. Um, you know the, the 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 relation there is really interesting. I mean, it's it's been mostly uh, energy. You know, heavy heavily heavily dependent on energy. The the, the Sino-Algerian relation, um, and and now with with prices, I, I guess it was the first time in a decade or so that the Algerian government has asked for a foreign loan, and and they asked it not you know from the IMF but from the Chinese government, and that's going to you know c- kind of be used for uh, more for infrastructure projects and stuff. Uh, I, I think, um, you, you know, I think there's a lot of literature that talks about, you know, the, the oil curse, you know, the resource curse. Um, and I think that there is a little bit about that to, to be seen in Algeria, you know, where the government, you know, it, it has a lot of resources. It, 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 it should be counted as one of the richer sort of, you know, countries in Africa. Or, uh, but at the same time, the economy is 100% dependent on, on, on energy resources. I mean, it hasn't diversified one bit in the last, I don't know, two decades, you know, even with oil prices skyrocketing. Um, and so maybe now that the, 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 the oil hasn't run out, but the price has gone down, maybe this will be a wake-up call for uh, leaders to really work hard on diversifying the relations and the partnerships. And, you know, China is a, 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 a number one sort of uh, uh, go-to uh, in in these in these uh, situations, just because of the sheer amount of things you can do with China, I mean, it could be from any manufacturer, light industry, heavy industry, you know, all sorts of things that you'd like to do. Well, that's you know that's the optimistic view, but based on what we've seen out of Africa, when and, and this is part of the the reckoning that people are having right now in Africa that. For the past 15 years, there's been a massive Chinese economic engagement where leaders in Zambia, in Angola, in Mozambique had that same opportunity and didn't take advantage of it, did not diversify mm-hmm. their economies. Mm-hmm. And the Mideast has been you know, oil dependent for you know, a century now, and it doesn't really seem like they're moving in that direction either. So I'm not so sure. I'm skeptical that they will look at the Chinese as some, you know, in any different way or light than uh, than they would anybody else. I, I just, I'd like to get your take on something because I was snickering a little bit and not because I'm an American, but just because, um, you know, the Chinese are stepping into a big pile of dookie in the Middle East. And I'm wondering if they have the sophistication in their diplomatic corps to understand what they're getting themselves into. So when all of a sudden Xi Jinping, more or less unprovoked, you know, mm-hmm. proclaimed his... Uh, you know, his support of an independent Palestinian state. Yeah, I just went, oh, man, you know. Um, you know, this gets very complicated very fast. Chinese mm-hmm. citizens are being taken captive by ISIS. Chinese mm-hmm. have very, very deep security relationships that they need to somehow maintain, but they're dependent on the United States in many respects to enforce some of those security arrangements. Um, we're in the midst now of a all-out Sunni-Shiite civil war, being fought on the battlefields of Yemen, uh, Hezbollah, in ISIS in northern Iraq, in Syria. Do the Chinese, in your opinion, have the understanding of how to navigate probably the world's most complicated, most volatile, and most dangerous diplomatic theater? Yeah, that, that, that's... Uh, I, I don't think they do, really to be honest question. with you. Because uh, it took yeah. them 20 years 
it literally took them 20 years to figure mm -hmm. out big parts of Africa. And some would even say that today, even a lot of their diplomacy in Africa is still very ham-handed. And Africa is a cakewalk for most mm -hmm. of Africa compared to what we're seeing in the, in the Gulf and in the Mideast. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a hotbed there. I mean, uh, one thing to recall, though, is that China's relations to most Arab, all Arab countries has been really kind of clear from the beginning. I mean, all Arab countries, of all of them, there's no one that has relations to Taiwan, for instance. Uh, so, and, and from the very beginning, sort of China has reciprocated that with, um, you know, standing uh, by the Arab boys in terms of uh, UN Security Council resolution votes for Palestine, for instance, when it concerns Palestine. Um, and so, I, I don't think I don't think the announcement by Xi Jinping, uh, sort of for the full support of, of, of a Palestinian state, is kind of really a, a, a big surprise because I think this has been kind of a number of years of sort of diplomatic relations between China and Arab Arab countries. Uh, and um, on the one hand, you know, you have uh, uh, the support of China, you know, for the, you know, the UN seat and the support of China in terms of uh, uh, Taiwan. And, 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 and in return, uh, there has always been sort of this support from, from China towards uh, or sympathy and support towards the uh, Palestinian cause. Um, but at the same time, China has relations with Israel. Uh, in, 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 and, uh, you know, there the are trade relations, all kinds of uh, relations. Um, and at the same time, China has relations with, uh, you know, Saudi and with Iran, does not have any issues here or there. The question that you're asking is, you know, going forward, uh, what are the risks? And is China ready for you know, kind of parsing out, you know, these kind of thin lines? And, 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 I, and, I'm, and I really do tend to be with you in the sense that, I don't think there is necessarily a, a lot of um, kind of expertise put towards this. Um, uh, people I spoke to in, in, in Beijing when I was doing field work, uh, they always talk about uh, how priority number one for China is, is, is it regionally. So uh, issues with the South, you know, uh, China Sea, issues with Japan, uh, these, you know, like regional issues are number one priority. And then number two is usually the U.S., uh, and, and then later on, you know, down the line, you see Africa and then you see the Middle East and, you know, other places. Uh, so it has not really necessarily been sort of in the first, you know, list of first priorities of China's foreign policy. And to that extent, yes, I would agree with you that there may not have, there may not be, you know, that expertise you, you would look for. Um, but, you know, uh, for now, China has done well by not necessarily interfering in these issues. And I don't see it actually uh, uh, taking a bigger role, you know, all of a sudden or in the, in the near future doing that for precisely the reasons you mentioned. Um, but to keep the bilateral relations with these key countries along the one belt, one road is sort of what China is trying to do, I believe. Um, I was, you know, it struck me that one of the, one of the, well, the one one issue that that dis distinguishes China from the U.S. Um, in in this in both North Africa and in the Middle East is that that China has relatively little um, little kind of you know kind of mil military and security engagement in in that in that area. Um, you know, mm -hmm. kind of and and also 
you know, China isn't known for 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 interfering in you know kind of in issues relating to those kind of the, that world and those particular cultures. However, at the same time, China is increasingly facing separatist kind of Islamic forces in Western China. Um, you know, kind of, and is and is more and more known as as kind of repressing or repressing maybe is a very kind of controversial word, but, you know, kind of have, having had conflicts with, with kind of Islamic bodies um, in Western China. Um, mm. Do you foresee any kind of fallout of, for China in the region from that? Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's been an episode previous, uh, I, I, I can't recall exactly the year, but there was a, a, an issue with uh, Erdogan um, sort of uh, uh, describing what the Chinese government was doing in Xinjiang as uh, something that looks like a genocide. Um, and that has kind of been relegated to sort of, you know, amnesic uh, uh, di di diplomacy. We don't hear a lot about the, uh, about the incident uh, at all now. But, but, but uh, there, there was an episode like that where, you know, the um, um, uh, uh, Turkey's relations with China was kind of in tension because of that. Um, but at the same time, I think um, right now what Xi Jinping is trying to do is to um, sort of uh, have uh, solid uh, uh, relations with, you know, countries that like Iran and Saudi, who definitely have a lot more experience with uh, issues like, you know, ISIS uh, um, and, and, and uh, you know, get, get on the right side, you know, uh, with them on these issues. Um, precisely to understand what's happening and to have a better, you know, uh, support in the region, you know, when uh, when when it comes to that. Uh, but I'm not sure exactly, um, you know, how um, to kind of frame uh, what would happen, you know, in 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 terms of China's relations to other kind of Arab countries in in in, in relations to uh, to uh, extremism, you know, in in the region. So we've laid out a lot of the key issues that are confronting the Chinese in both North Africa and the Middle East and also in the Persian Gulf. And so I guess, you know, as we kind of wrap up our discussion here, I'd be interested for you, particularly because you're from Algeria, so you're, you're on that threshold between those, these two worlds, to kind of compare and contrast for our listeners who follow China-Africa to mm -hmm. say what is the differences and what are the differences and what are the similarities between china Mm -hmm. Arab, Mideast, Persian, Gulf, and China, Africa. In terms of similarities, I would say um, sort of the, 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 the historic ties, the relations between the, the Bandung Conference, right? And so the South-to-South, -South, you know, uh, rhetoric of you know, solidarity between China and anti-imperial, anti-colonial. Um, so to that extent, the, the, the relations are, are kind of similar. Um, and, and they do look a lot similar, really. I mean, some of the differences, I would say, between the two or the main differences is um, uh, kind of in relation to um, uh, the, the, the bulk of China's relation to uh, Africa is, is sort of culturally and linguistically and, and it, it, very diverse, right? And China's relations to the Arab countries, for instance, um, which, by the way, if you look at Chinese foreign policy, um, or Chinese uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs website, they call it West Asia and North Africa. They don't call it, you know, MENA region uh, for a reason, right? It, it, it's not necessarily east of China. Um, 
so this this uh, the, the, some of the, the the similarities that I mean sort of the, the differences there between the two uh, kind of uh, relations uh, would include um, that in the Middle East China is definitely heavy on oil um, and energy source resources and, and investments uh, whereas sort of in Africa we've seen you know a lot more focus on cultural influence there are way more Confucius Institutes for instance in Africa than there are you know in the Middle East uh, religion is another big difference where um, you know this the cultural uh, the difference uh, impact uh, of the, the Middle East and northern Africa kind of creates um, a certain type of um, a kind of uh, a relation where not lots of Chinese people sort of go to these countries for, you know, uh, uh, settling in the longer term, whereas we see lots of communities of Chinese, you know, throughout different African cities. And so culturally and religiously sort of these country, uh, countries in the Middle East and North African regions are kind of perhaps a bit different from the landscape uh, that you see throughout Africa. Um, um, and, uh, you know, similarities, you know, the, just basically um, kind of the, the, the lately the Sino-Arab policy, for instance, is kind of really based on very similar categories of foreign policy than if you compare it to uh, to uh, China's Africa policy. So you have the same categories, same kind of five principles of, of coexistence, which are the basis of the policies in both in both regions. Um, so... Um, the 30-second kind of threw me well, off. That, that, no, no, that was great. You know, I think, you know, just as a final comment of my own, one of the key differences is, you know, the, the Han people's relationship with Islam is very, very complicated. And I think that as China invests itself more into the Islamic world, they are going to start to face considerable problems with, as people on the Arab street start to see more about the oppression and the repression of Muslims in China and the difficulties that a lot of Islam Muslims have in China, uh, particularly in Xinjiang and some of those very, very tense regions, that mm -hmm. may start to cause problems for them as their relationship. Right now, it's a new shiny love affair. I think a lot of these, a lot of the, the three countries that, that she went to, in, in many ways, they were kind of like, you know, showing the Americans that or and the Europeans that, look, there's somebody else, there's another suitor, just as Africa did 20 years ago, the same way, when they were trying Absolutely. to pull away from the IMF and the World Bank. And now it's easy. It's great. Everybody's happy. Mm -hmm. um, but things get much more complicated when the Chinese may start to step onto American diplomacy, when the Chinese get sucked into ISIS again, when the Chinese start to confront the the problems that their Islamic populations having, and as the mm -hmm. street starts to look at that, much like ISIS and Al-Qaeda have both singled out China because of their treatment of their Muslim population. So I just, this region is mm -hmm. very, very complicated. It's probably, uh, for us, the second most fascinating part of the world to look at China and their foreign policy. And so, uh, Lena, thank you so much for joining us. Your insights were absolutely fascinating. Lena Ben Abdallah is a scholar at the University of Florida in the Center for African Studies. She's also a native of Algeria who has a wonderful insights on China and MENA, China in the Gulf, and China in the Arab world. Lena, you, like us, are also a podcaster and prolific on social media. Uh, as you know from listening to the show, we always like to kind of recommend where people can go to find your work. Uh, what's the best way for people to, A, listen to your show that you host or co-host with Winslow Robertson, and B, where can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, so, thank you. So first, the uh, in terms of the podcast, it's called Calories and Rice. Uh, I think uh, um, it's uh, you, you can find it on iTunes, um, 
And uh, yeah, so we do have you know, sort of uh, insights and discussions on China Africa on the podcast. Uh, so there are three of us hosting it with uh, eating uh, as a as a third co-host. Um, and then in terms of uh, um, social media for myself, I think Twitter uh, would be the easiest way to uh, get in touch with me. My uh, Twitter handle is at L Ben Abdallah. That's B E N A B D A L L A H. And Kobus, where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, I'm at Stadnesk. That's S T A D E N E S Q U E. And also, I am on a I'm on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com/slash/China-Africa-project. And we run this 24-hour constant drip feed of China African news items. It um, really that's, is. That we 24 curate around the hours. 24 hours Absolutely. a day. Can you believe that? So if you are a China Africa geek like all three of us, uh, you know, facebook.com slash China Africa project is a great place for you to kind of just check out what's happening in the China Africa space. But a lot of people have said that's a little too intense and they would rather have, you know, BuzzFeed and cats and snow pictures uh, fill up their feed. So we have a newsletter which goes out every Monday. Uh, all you have to do is go to our website or on our Facebook page and sign up. And we give you five stories every week, the top five stories uh, of what's kind of a review preview in the week ahead for, uh, for China Africa. And of course, if you want to follow this podcast, iTunes.com slash China Africa podcast iTunes.com slash China Africa podcast, and you'll be taken right to the iTunes page to subscribe to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thanks again. Thanks again.